the Animation Podcast, September 30th, 2005. Hey everybody, this is Clay. Welcome to show number eight of the Animation Podcast. This is part two of my interview with Ron Clements and John Musker, the directors of The Great Mouse Detective, The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, Hercules, and Treasure Planet. This show picks up the discussion with them talking about their transition from being animators to working in story on The Black Cauldron. So here's part two. Um, Black Cauldron, you went into story as well, right, John? I did. Well, I had a crazy thing because I was, you know, part of the kind of younger generation. And and in the meantime, Tom Wilhite, an executive, had come in who was under Ron Miller and was trying to kind of give the young people a voice in animation. He was kind of their advocate. He was only a few years older than we were. Uh, and um, he was trying to bring those people along. So he, knowing that there were these, uh, that Black Cauldron was looming and all that, he wanted to get a younger director in there. Because on Fox and Honda, I would say there were some clashes even between the old guard of Art Stevens, who was a veteran uh, who got his chance to direct a feature finally, um, some conflicts between some of them, and say Ted Berman, who was like a veteran story man, again, who got a chance to do a feature, and yet maybe out of touch with some of the sensibilities of the Cal Arts type people. So they drafted me to be a director on Cauldron. It was sort of imposed on these other directors. Here, we're going to throw this younger guy in with you as a director. And they didn't want... I think John was picked because even among the CalArts people, he was kind of a natural director. I think people would show their test to him and always just try to get input. And he he was always just good at constructive kind of notes helping you to make your scene better. I think more so than that, though, was the fact that my animation wasn't that good. (laughs) And so they they didn't want to take away somebody who really was a powerful animator. So I think uh, by default almost I got got sort of elected. uh, Because even at that time, I mean, you know, it was like the directing animator people would want to be, you know, Milt Call or Frank or Ollie. And if you said, you know, I I really want to be Wilfred Jackson, they'd be like, who is Wilfred Jackson? Again? Or, or even Jerry Geronimo, whom they didn't like a lot of those guys. Or Willie Reitherman, like So anyway, but I, it, I didn't necessarily aspire to it at all. I, I really did literally kind of get drafted into it, but I thought, well, this would be sort of interesting. But because I was imposed on those guys, they didn't, we just didn't, we were totally out of sync creatively. So I, I was doing storyboards on Cauldron, well, trying, they, you know, I yeah, did sequences and, that basically, and, and Ron was working they, on They story. basically had the other three directors on that movie would, would have meetings and not tell John yeah. about the meetings. <laughs> it was like that. It was really so, like that. Like I'd find out they had a meeting? They did? Or that sort of thing. Or, we, or even the character design. It was a crazy time because Joe Hale was elected. So they brought me on as a, a younger director. And Joe Hale, who had worked with some younger people, Henry Selleck and whatnot, on Watcher in the Woods, I think, and had worked well with them, uh, Tom Wilhite said, well, here's Joe Hale. Here's a guy who he's willing to give younger people a voice. So, so Tom had Joe produce Black Cauldron, because, partly because he said he's going to, he's inclusive. Ron he's Miller bring, as well, I think. Ron Miller, yeah. I, Ron Miller was really the executive that Tom was answering to, mm-hmm. uh, Walt's son while was running the studio. And uh, I think they said, yeah, well, this makes sense, get some younger people in there. But Joe was completely torn because it was almost like a you know conservative liberal or left-wing, right-wing or whatever. But, for example, Tim Burton was in development on Black Cauldron, partly because uh, you know he did these drawings, sketchbooks that were really great, and actually John Lasseter, when I was working on, uh, when I was about to swing over onto Calder, and he said to me like, you know who you should really get doing stuff on this? It's Tim. Tim, have you, have you seen his drawings? And I had seen some of his drawings, but not that many. It's like you got to see his sketchbook. Mm-hmm. So I looked at Tim's sketchbooks where he had sketched people like in line for the Rocky Horror Picture Show and stuff like that <laughs> at that time, and there were these great, you know, just 
fantastic concepts and observations and style and all that. So I talked to them about getting Tim to do stuff, visual development on the movie. And Joe was very supportive of it, yeah. So Tim did all these characters that were very Tim Burton-y for Black Cauldron. Mm -hmm. And I thought they were great. And uh, and Joe thought they were great. But Art Stevens and the other directors were like, ooh, this isn't Disney. This is so out there. This is not, this is too bizarre. This isn't what the Disney style is. This is something else. You're going down a total wrong path. So there was a very much a schism there. And Joe Hale, and the story, it was a schism even in terms of development of the story. Pete Young was working on the story. Ron was working on the story. I was working on the story. Steve Hewlett. But we were out of sync with the directors again in terms of even the approach of like what we thought was good about the books and what we were trying to do. So And how old Taron, the hero, should be, where we kind of favored a younger guy like the books. And they were like, no, he should be more like Luke Skywalker. He should be like a 15 to 17-year-old young man. And we were like, no, he should be like, more like 12 or 13 so there was just, and so Joe was getting pulled in different directions at the same time. And he went to Ron Miller and said, which way do you want me to go on this? And, I, and he came back and told me this. I wasn't privy to the conversation, but I, I believe he said, we could go this kind of new way, you know, and break out and do this kind of different, you know, this UPA thing that Tim sort of is over here. Or we could do the traditional Disney approach, kind of classic Disney approach. And Ron Miller said, well, I want the classic Disney approach. And, and I remember Joe's comments to me at the time. He said, Ron Miller said, you know, Lady in the Tramp, we just released it over in Europe right now, and it's doing great. Why would I want to change that? That's what I want to go with. So, and when Joe was telling me this, I was thinking to myself, well, in its own way, we're talking about Lady in the Tramp. We're not, we think we're, we're sort of returned to that. We feel like this other way is getting away from it more, even though superficially, yeah, it looks more different. But in terms of heart and story and all that, we're, you're actually trying to throw it back earlier. So, but, so Literally, the Black Cauldron kind of split in half, and out of that, a, a small satellite was created, which was um, the Great Mouse Detective, or right. Basil of Baker Street, which was Tom Wilhite's way of sort of saying, well, there's a certain amount of people who are just, just don't seem to be uh, adjusting to Cauldron or don't seem to be able to aren't really working yeah, it was out the island of misfit toys that we, yes. we sort of, sort of went, went to and included and ron was the one who had pitched basil baker street at the time to right. joe hale and said i got this book i think could make a good movie and that was principally because i was a huge sherlock holmes fan and was looking for something that felt like you could do something with sherlock holmes in animation and joe liked it and somehow yeah. it was a much vaguer there weren't gong shows and there was any there wasn't any development process that was uh, codified in any way whatsoever so i think it just I think, out I of think, that i think someone he may have a, said to ron made a drawing. I think be, someone made a oh, drawing someone did a drawing okay and i don't remember now who made that drawing yeah. i think it could have been vance but i don't think it was vance yeah. gary but it could have been mel shaw but i don't think it was mel shaw but someone made a drawing and joe showed that drawing to ron miller and ron miller said yeah make that yeah let's um, let's start cooking on that one so so there were people. So were so you it, one of the misfits? I was as well? one of the misfit toys. So they came to me and said, "You go off on this movie." And that's when you guys paired up. And that's when we sort of paired up, uh, working together. We had, well, we had sort of been working together on Colin, but not. We were just mutually well, we, out I, of I'd sync with the we, directors. Sort of, we, we bonded, we bonded you know? a bit on Cauldron because we were in sync with each other, right? And not in sync with. Um, yeah, I'd say Ron the, had the different ideas on the story of. of by Colin, I thought, yeah, that's right. That's the way to go. I'm, I'm, I'm behind that. Mm -hmm. And then graphically, I was pushing or just, you know, pushing it in a different direction. I think he, I did storyboards for sequences that were never, you know, they never used my. I did yeah, boards that never we, saw we, the light of have, day. We have um, credits. We both have credits on Black Cauldron. Right. It's additional story, and what additional story means is, is story that 
never got used in the yeah, room. Yeah, that, that they didn't <laughs> so, like and didn't use. So okay. <laughs> it's on the cutting room floor. Never even made it to the cutting room. Um, so yeah, so we worked. So then we worked together on Great Moss Detective, then called Basil of Baker Street, for a while. And Ron, the new, the idea there was Ron Miller was going to be the actual producer of that movie. He had never really been the strictly the producer of one of the animated films before, but he said, "I'm going to sort of get in there and and work with these young people, and you know, we're going to get something out of this." But as we did, worked on it. What happened at the same time, though, was the studio came under the threat of a takeover, and uh, mm-hmm. Ron Miller, who was the producer of it, would disappear for months at a time because he was besieged because Saul Steinberg, Saul Steinberg, this uh, money guy who wanted to kind of green mail the company, kind of take it over and sell it off, was buying up stock, and so there was a big thing like, is Disney going to get fractured and shattered, and it was a big distraction, so... Months would go by and nothing would happen. In the meantime, before that, just to back up, I don't know if you want all this excruciating detail, yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> but um, when I was first assigned uh, Basil of Baker Street, um, I started developing it in a way that I sort of liked. And Joe Ramped was working on that earlier version. And who Ron Joe, was. Who just, and Pete, who just within the last week. Yeah, um, Joe just died this, uh, last uh, week. One of the great which, people in this uh, on this planet and in this business and, and in the medium and a wonderful story guy. And he did these great boards on the movie, but in general, I would say the tone that I was pushing on that was not the tone that wound up in the film, although there's flavors of it, but it was a little bit more Monty Python-y, a little bit more like, like at the time at least, I felt like, well, Miles Sherlock Holmes, that's just too mundane. Can we do a spin on it? So in our version, like, it was a spin on maybe the cliches of Holmes even, which some people just said, you're going too far out in left field. And for example, in our version, Basil, even though he's a mouse, he played like a mouse-sized version of a tuba instead of a violin. Like when he when he wanted to uh, <laughs> when he wanted to think, he would bring out this tuba, you know. So it was sort of a parody of these Holmesian elements. And and in our version, Dawson was a kind of Ed Gomer had done this great drawing of this very myopic but really overweight guy. And we said he's kind of hideous, but he's this ladies' man that is attracted. That wherever he goes, women just are attracted to him like uh, flies to honey. And uh, so it was just, it was kind of bizarre, you know, it was kind of left, a left field version of the whole thing. We, sh- we spent six months working on it, I think, and uh, showed it to Ron Miller, and he was completely nonplussed, like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and Joe Ramp did a very funny drawing that I, I still have up on my board to this day, where Ron Miller looks kind of Frankenstein-like, and he's saying, you know, where's the goddamn warmth? And he felt that we were doing, he just, it didn't compute at all. Like, what the heck? I thought you were doing a mouse Sherlock Holmes and this guy doesn't look that appealing to me. And it, eesh. So at that point, I was kind of, they brought Bernie Mattinson on to work with me. Who had been doing Mickey's Christmas Carol. Been doing Mickey's Christmas Carol and had finished that up. Now, this is probably like 1982. And they said, okay, Bernie, you work with John and you do this. So I really backed off because I felt like, my approach is out of sync with them. In the meantime, I kept thinking, I don't even know that I fit in here. I'm ready to leave. Mm. I'm going to be gone. Uh, there's other projects outside that I'm hoping get going. Brad Bird that was trying to get the spirit, the Will Eisner uh, story off the ground as an animated feature right. at that time with Gary Kurtz up in uh, uh, San Francisco. And I'm like, hey, Brad, you get that going. I'm there in a week. You know, I'll be there. And every week, John, so John so, Lester was trying to get Brave yeah, Little Toaster. Yeah, going. There was, uh-huh. there's various projects. Kind Tim, of Tim Burton was doing strange little live action Super 8 films that nothing would ever come of, obviously. Right, but, right. Yeah. Luau was it? Or? Luau, yeah. We yeah, were, Luau, I was at Luau, Luau, and he was yeah, yeah. technical advisor on Luau. Can you get Luau online? No. Yeah. 
it was a I beach movie. It was a beach yeah. movie, kind of a parody of the Frankie Avalon. Yeah, I've seen it. It's yeah, great. T- yeah. Tim played. <laughs> I mean, great Tim to see everybody. The, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tim played the head from outer space that got in the surface. I'm contest, the most powerful but, man in the universe. Yeah, and, right. Uh, <laughs> um, was, so after that flame out, then I backed off. Bernie kind of took our Vance came in more. So I don't think Vance had worked on the first version, and Vance sort of came yeah, in. Came, I think Vance Gary, and Vance yeah. really helped. Pete I Young think, was still. I think Vance more than anybody helped kind of write the ship in terms of he found a way of making it kind of it did make it warmer and appealing. Mm-hmm. And, and Ron, uh, were you involved in any of this? Yeah, I was. Yeah, he, I was. I, over, I, yeah. I was involved with both versions. I, 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 um, I think he sort of went along versions. with the first version, but I don't think he was. You know, the second version you were in sync with too. Like, I mean, it was, we rearranged really I mean, the, the main thing in the second version was that I did like was pushing the villain more, which was Professor yeah. Radigan from from the book. That, mm-hmm. Uh, but there were things I liked in both, and there were things that carried over, but were, more yeah. more more subtly. But, but, but I, I, I was doing story, and 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 we and story went on a long time on on uh, because Cauldron was the film that the most film. of the most of the animation staff was working on. Cauldron, Cauldron was a long production. It went on, I think, four years in production, which is a long time yeah. for any animated film. So we had this kind of leisure. We had a lot of time to do boards on, on Great Mouse, but no animation. It was like, so So it, it spent a lot of time gestating in the mm-hmm. story. Um, and then this thing happened where suddenly we heard about Saul Steinberg. We heard about the takeover. Um, nobody yeah, was, knew what was going to happen. Yeah, I was in Hawaii at the time on, on my, uh, not honeymoon, but my, uh, it's my anniversary. This is in 84, this is September of 84. And I remember sitting in an airport as we were about to fly back and seeing the headlines on the newspaper. <laughs> you know, Ron Miller out, Michael Eisner in, and all this. And I just looked at my wife, Gail, and I was like, I'm going back there, but I don't know if I have a job when I get back well, there. The, I don't know what's going on. The weird, the weird thing was because Ron Miller was the producer of, he was actually the producer of, of Basil of Baker Street, and then Ron Miller disappeared. He was gone. So we had no producer. It's like the teacher is gone and, and the kids are in the classroom. And um, and then Michael Eisner came over, um, and Roy Disney brought Michael Eisner over, but but um, nobody really knew we existed. And, and so there was a question, like, should we tell anyone? Or should yeah. we just keep doing right. this yeah, right. and not tell anyone? Uh, and did you but, continue, or did you kind of no, wait we, and hold we, back? Um, for I a think I, Bernie talked to Roy, and, uh-huh. and 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 Roy Disney was the first one to find out that there was this project that had been going on for a while. And then Roy brought in uh, Michael Eisner, who we had never met, and Jeffrey Katzenberg, who we had never met, and we had to sort of pitch um, Basil to those guys. Just like you would just and sort we'd of been working on it for like two and a half or three years, which seems unbelievable now. Mm-hmm. But it was that long, just meandering around the story, or just you know being reworked and yada yada. But at that point, it was a crossroads where he could have just said, "Nah, forget it." Hmm. So we were like, so we literally there were boards up in a hall, like an outline of the story that we pitched to him. Not even continuity boards; it was more like a general board. And he's like. You got the comedy and you got the adventure, but you need. Where's the, the goddamn war? Yeah, was that was that it? <laughs> or was it? Was that it again? We said, "Where's the emotion?" Or was it? So that was part of it, I think, yeah, it, yeah. with with emotion. Um, yeah. But but fortunately, they liked it, um, and 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 the main th- reason I think they liked it was they had been developing a project at Paramount, which they just come over, Young Sherlock Holmes, mm-hmm. which they were pretty high on, and this had some similar elements. So so um, also, they did I okay. Think- the one thing they said. I remember, like I think Michael Eisner said, you know, how much do you think it will cost? And and I think, uh, I think we at that time Cauldron had cost nearly fifty million dollars, which was an enormous amount of money for an animated film at that time. We thought, you know, Great Mouse or Basil could be done for about half that. Mm-hmm. 
and then Michael said, well, I want it for 12 or 10 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then he said, how long do you think it will take to do? We thought it would take like maybe about two more years to do. He said, in one, wanted wanted in one. So the so the budget and the, the time schedule was, was sort of immediately cut in half. So it was exciting that they were going to make it. But, but you guys were, were ready to go, it. basically, right? We were fairly yeah, ready to go. Yeah, we we, were, we had the, a little the, warmth. The film <laughs> yeah, recorded, a little yes. warmth. Yeah. Uh, but so it, it so it got into a fairly accelerated thing from this sort of long term story development into a very very fast production period. Hmm. Um, and and the other weird thing about in terms of me being a director um, relates to that specifically. It, it relates to. Uh, to Ron Miller leaving uh, because John was a director on that film and and uh, Bernie Manson was a director and, and a guy named Dave Michener was a director but there but Ron Miller was the producer when when Ron Miller left I think they decided that Bernie would become the producer but Bernie didn't feel that he in terms of what he needed to focus on being a producer that he could still direct which opened up a spot for for another director mm-hmm. and um so I, I was um, considering that because I had been thinking that I might want to move into directing. I, I like story. I've always been really interested in story. But directing, you have more control over the story than you do as a story person. So I asked John um, and, and Bruce Morris, who was at that, what they thought. And they seemed to think it was a legitimate idea. So I asked Bernie to consider me for that slot. So that, that's how I moved into directing. Wow. Uh, just ask for it <laughs> yeah well even that's i was remembering too because that sort of happened with me with ron miller i can't remember which one i think maybe well, maybe it was on black column where he first talked to me about directing and i was sort of hemming and hawing and i didn't really i was non-committal and i had to come back to him like you know, a few days later and say no i actually am interested in that but my first response was well um, uh, <laughs> uh, um uh, like that so um and john so john and i were both directors on that movie and we both did a lot of but story work per- on that movie but bernie was the producer bernie was, was said, the right? producer yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. when when once Ron Miller was deposed, but but, but even though we were both directors, we weren't actually a team at that at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, you weren't um, Ron and John yet. <laughs> we, no, we, we, we weren't, weren't that no. yet. Um, but and that really came about because um, as we no. were getting into production on Great Mouse Detective, yeah. I think Michael Eisner had a had a Gong show. Yeah, the first of the Gong shows here, so which did was he in bring January that of '85. Yeah, bring bring three ideas, bring five ideas, and there was a table. There was only maybe a dozen people at that one, and. And including Jeffrey and Michael, and uh, this was before Peter Schneider was here, and mm-hmm. uh, and so people brought their ideas, and and Ron pitched Little Mermaid at that Gong show, as well as Treasure Planet. In fact, it's funny because I was going to ask you how many of your ideas were ideas you brought, or ideas that um, you know they said make this movie. Well, I mean, I, actually, I have three movies that that I had sort of suggested because Great Mouse was I did sort of pitch Great mm-hmm. Mouse, though it was sold. More by this one drawing that somebody I don't know is <laughs> drawing than 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 the pitch really. I mean, um, and then the and then I, I did pitch at that Gong Show, that first Gong Show. I pitched um, Little Mermaid and and what was called what I called at that time Treasure Island in Space. Mm-hmm. Um, they were both gonged at, at the Gong Show, um, which means rejected. Yeah, rejected. Um, Little Mermaid, uh, because I, I all I remember is that Michael or Jefferson they thought it was too close to Splash. And, they um, were going to do a sequel to Splash at that point. Splash had come out, you know, a few years before, mm-hmm. and they were going to do a sequel. And they're like, "Now we're doing that next." And Treasure Island in Space, they said, "Well, that's really similar to the next Star Trek movie that's coming out, which they were involved at with Paramount." Though so the next yeah. Star Trek movie that came out was actually the one where they went back to save the whales. So I've never quite known how that was so. But similar. you know how live action development was. Yes, so probably it was Treasure Island at one point, and it completely. Um, but. Um, 
but anyway, so I was really kind of bummed, particularly about Mermaid at that point, because uh, um, I really thought there was a lot of potential in that. And I remember that evening, like with my girlfriend who became my wife, but she wasn't my wife then, and just uh, she was posing as your wife. Yes, yeah. but um, just really being. But then I had written like two page treatments on on uh, on those two projects as well as three others because they wanted five ideas, and they actually went through. Jeffrey Kasselberg sort of called me a day or so after that, and they actually had read all the treatments, and he sort of went down the line on each one and and this or that. But then he said we really like Mermaid, and we wanna we wanna put it in development. So um, so it was gone, and then suddenly it was back, and it was in development, and it it went in development for a while. I worked with um, Bruce Morris, who who was at the studio then, for a while, and and Doug Leffler was doing some stuff on it, and uh, but that's about that time then uh, when um, Michael Eisner, one of his mandates in terms of, and Jeffrey as well, I think in terms of animation, was um, they wanted to see scripts on everything. The weird thing, which almost no one could comprehend, is that before that time there were no scripts really on the animated films. There were writers involved, but there weren't actually scripts. Mm -hmm. They were just they worked from outlines and storyboards, and things would be boarded, and then dialogue would be added. It was it was the way it worked under Walt, and and it, and it certainly worked under Walt. It was effective, but. But Michael wanted to see scripts. They were looking for a writer for The Little Mermaid. Um, at one point, it looked like a Michael Christopher, who wrote The Witches of Eastwick, and uh, I think was a Pulitzer Prize winner, at one point was going to write Mermaid and actually met with him briefly. But, but he pulled out at a certain point because he felt his take would just be too dark for Disney. They just wouldn't go for it. Um, and at that point, because um, I had written before, I had written like a live action script that was done on a very low budget for the Disney Channel, which was just getting started. And I had done some other script writing, so I was interested in writing. And I knew something about writing. And, and, and John's a good writer. And, and he. Uh, well, I, I had kicked in some dialogue on, on Great Mouse Detective and that. And I was an English major in, in school and whatnot. So, so, I, so I asked I John. I actually if, written it at a full script. Yeah. So I asked John if he would be interested in collaborating on, on a screenplay for The mm -hmm. Little Mermaid. And, and we had gotten along well in terms of working before. So he said, yes. Yeah. So we wrote, we wrote the script together. And uh, the script turned out really well. At, at that time, also, the thing that was going on at the same time as that was that um, the studio had contacted Howard Ashman. I think David Geffen was really high on Howard and had suggested Howard to the studio. To Jeffrey. To Jeffrey. And uh, while we were finishing Great Mouse Detective, we, we flew to New York um, to do some press on, on, on Great Mouse. And also then we met with Howard for the first time and he was doing a musical called Smile. And Howard, um, Howard had expressed interest in Little Mermaid when he heard that the studio was exploring the project because he, he, he was a big fan of Hans Christian Andersen and had written... Um, a musical based called Andersongs or something like that earlier. So he read our treatment. We, had, we, we started with a 20-page treatment on Little Mermaid that we'd expanded the two-page treatment. And, uh, and he read that and he suggested kind of ideas of where the songs might go and what the songs might be. And, he and we had a crab in the treatment that was kind of the court conductor. And he suggested, I think the crab should be Rastafarian. And we, we sort of questioned that at first and then realized kind of, then he explained kind of why he was thinking that and wanted to bring the Calypso influences into the music <laughs> and things like that. So we had actually met with Howard before we wrote the script um, and we had an idea of what the songs would be even though the songs hadn't been written yet. And then we wrote the script and turned it in and they liked the script very much. Jeffrey, Jeffrey was very, very positive on that script. 
and and we had we were both directors on on uh, Great Mouse Detective, so it made sense since they liked the script. It made sense for us to direct the mm. movie. We weren't necessarily going to direct the movie until you know they they actually sort of read the script, and that's kind of what led to what led to that. I think American Tale helped propel Mermaid along a little bit because that came out the and success. Made it was a success. Yeah, and I think they just were like, we gotta you know get keep things moving and right. I think it helps because really I mean I think Great Mouse Detective is considered like a turning point you know it's like the start of yeah. the good things yeah well then... Jeffrey I remember it got really good reviews and everything and, and the day it came out you know Jeffrey I called us up and he's like congratulations I just love these reviews and I said well I, I hope you know it, it turns into you know the box office I hope it does well I, I said what do you, what do you think it's going to do I said to Jeffrey and, and I still remember what Jeffrey said I'm telling you, you'd have to carry me out of here on a stretcher if I told you, or you'd have to carry yourself out of here on a stretcher if I told you how much money this is going to make, which, of course, in hindsight, I realized that was his way of avoiding the question, mm-hmm. you know, because I think he really didn't know, and he didn't want to be quoted in any way of saying, attaching a number to it. As it turned out, it didn't, you know, do all that well at the box office, but in terms of critically, and even from an audience point of view, and just, it seemed like it did help, you know, get things moving in a direction where younger people here had a voice in the movie. So, mm-hmm. people I, I think like Glenn Keane and people really had fun on that movie. I think uh, we had fun on that movie. Right. Certainly. Yeah, and the staff, I think yeah, genuinely fun. had fun and it was certainly animals in clothes are, is more fun to animate. I mean, it's just, and it's easier to animate. And that was part of the selling point of the movie and why it could be done cheaper and it had to be done. Certainly. I mean, Cauldron, I think everyone had been really scared by how much that, movie cost and it didn't do very well mm-hmm. um so with great mouse it was really sort of pulling back in a lot of ways um in terms of budget but still a young kind of talented staff and it was something you could just have fun with and cauldron was kind of a tougher thing yeah. to have fun with the animation so i think it, it did bring a little bit more spirit back in back into the place and it and it at least paved the way a little bit for what was to come That concludes part two with Ron and John. If you would like to discuss the show, you can go to my website at animationpodcast.com where you can leave comments, email me, or get the phone number for the voicemail hotline so that your comments or questions can be heard on the next show. The number for that is area code 206-666-2668. So that's it for show eight. Next time we'll get to Ron and John part three. So until then, thanks for tuning in.